Hi, guys. I am really glad. Am I loud enough? Or is this just for recording? Okay, good. I am really glad to be here with you today. <clears throat> this uh, topic that I'm going to be speaking on, I was supposed to go to Texas a couple of weeks ago to give this at a leadership conference. And uh, I couldn't. I came down. I'm sick. I have lots of physical stuff going on. And so I've been living with this passage in Benaiah. If you've ever spoken, preached before, you know that one of the things God does is he gets this into you. He makes you deal with the stuff in this passage. And then it's much more helpful to other people. Um, I have written pages and pages and pages of notes on Benaiah. It's only five verses. I don't know how you would sum up your life or somebody else would sum up your life for you. This afternoon, we're going to sum up the life of June Drake. And people are going to say things about her. When God sums up a person's life, it is truthful, factual, powerful. And he does that in a couple of people in the book of Chronicles. There's Jabaz. And it's a very short little verse in the midst of a continuation of names. God loves names. He knows who you are precisely, exactly. He knows exactly what he wants for you. But your name is important to him. Some of these things in Chronicles are just name after name after name of guys we don't know. We don't know their story. And then every once in a while, he jumps in and he says, I want you to know about Benaiah. He, he's an extraordinary guy. These other guys are really good and they have their own story, but you need to hear the story of this guy. So this has gone over and over in my head. I, I will tell you what the outline is so you can see where I'm going. I'm, I'm going to be talking about the gathering of ordinary men. All of us start out ordinary. We come into this life and people have to constantly teach us. They have to teach us how to speak, how to do math, we are constantly the recipients of information from other people. And from God's point of view, if you have some people in your life who are extraordinary, you're going to do much better. If you have an extraordinary pastor, an extraordinary father, an extraordinary teacher in school, you will remember them because God will accept you being ordinary at first, but he has no intention to leave you in ordinary. If you get to heaven and you're still ordinary, that is not his fault. Because ordinary people just accept whatever is. They have no passion, no vision. They can't see beyond themselves. You can tell by their home life, by their church life, by their personal life, there's something missing. I'm starting to read a book now called Blink. And someone found this statue, a perfect statue of a Greek <clears throat> sculptor. And they were going to buy this for $10 million. So they went to Greece and they said, this thing is so well preserved, there's got to be something wrong with it. So they had these experts look at this. Here's the amazing thing. They made their decision in the first five seconds of looking at this. And they said, it's too perfect. It was never buried in the ground. And they saved them $10 million from buying the statue. We do this all the time. We look at people. In fact, they showed silent footage of a teacher teaching. No audio. 
for 10 seconds. And the students wrote down what kind of person that teacher was. God says, when I look at this guy, he's an exceptional guy. I don't, I don't need five seconds. They got that down to two seconds, by the way. You show a video of a teacher teaching a class, and you ask the students to make an evaluation, <clears throat> and within two seconds, they got it down that far, the students hit it right on the head. That, that's intuitive stuff. So, while an ordinary person thinks they're doing okay, most everybody around them knows they're not doing okay. Within two, sec two seconds, we make these summations. So as God looks at men gathering, believe me, he loves us. <clears throat> Women do a lot of things together. It's easier for them. But when men get together, God says, I really want to do something here that's extraordinary. Everything he has ever done is extraordinary. So we're going to talk about the gathering of ordinary men. <clears throat> this happened when David became king. And all the guys who came to him were either discouraged or in debt. They were just, they were just ordinary guys. And by his example, he turned them into extraordinary men. Now, I want to say this right at first. Your wife and your kids and your nephews and your pastor and your friends would love it if God would do something for you soon that would get you out of, I'm not into that, I don't do this. They would love him. I'm trying to help a young lady in London right now who is a theatric student who has an eating disorder. And yesterday, she slipped again. She overate and she purged. And I'm just saying to her, you did this for three weeks. You did this for two weeks. You did this for four days. You need to learn to start again. See, if you can start again, then you can fall a hundred times. Some of us just give up and we say, well, I've been ordinary for so long. You know, I haven't been involved in the things of God for so long. I think I'll just stay here. That breaks the heart of God. Then we're going to talk about, we're going to be talking about the making of extraordinary men. Next, we're going to talk about the acts of exceptional men and the list of exemplary men. That just helps to keep me on track. I want to read the passage <clears throat> first. It's First Chronicles chapter 11 and verse 22. His name is Benaiah, and that means God's been working at me for a long time. That's what it means. It means this didn't start today in Benaiah's life. Nobody... In fact, guys like Winston Churchill were just ordinary politicians before the war came. And the crisis brought out. Okay, so if God's bringing some stuff into your life, it's only to show you that there is much more to you than what you've experienced so far. Let me read this. Benaiah, the son of Jehudiah, was a valiant man. Why, why does God tell us about his dad? Because dads are very important. The people we hang around have such influence on us, usually we turn out like them. That's why kids are like their parents most of the time. 
Here's a guy who had the example of a father, and this was in his history, and it was huge in this little guy's history. The Jewish father, the first thing he teaches him at five years old is the whole book of Leviticus. Try that for family devotions. That's a little rough. And the kid can say, you know, Papa, in the synagogue, the other kids don't have to do Leviticus for daily devotion. I don't care about the other kids. I want you to grow up to be valiant. Valiance means I'm courageous about the stuff that men need to be courageous about. It means I'm brave. I have courage. I will not back down. Today, while we're here, there are 20,000, maybe 40,000 Islamic fighters and hundreds of young girls who are going to Syria and Turkey and Iraq to be involved in something which is nothing more than slaughtering Christians and Jews. My question is, how do they get these guys? We have 40 today. Somebody with a passion says, this is what God wants. This is the state of Israel. And Benaiah, when he was growing up in that house, said, Dad, is, is there more to life? If God is real, can God do something with me in my life that is so extraordinary that people start to watch me and eventually somebody will write about me? This is not autobiographical. Biographical. He didn't write this about himself. He didn't think, I'm an extraordinary guy. I think I'll write something. He didn't ask his wife, who may have thought he was extraordinary, or his mother. They always think we're extraordinary. Some other guys looked at him and said, if you knew Benaiah, let me tell you what he did. Let me show you how God made him. So... Benaiah, the son of Jehudiah, was a valiant man of Kabzil. Kabzil is the village. The village is a small place. Somerville, I don't know if you call it a village or a town. It's certainly not a city or a megalopolis. It's small. You say, I'm from a small place. Yes, but you have a big God. He saw other valiant men in Kabzil, and he says, you know what? I want to be like them. You bring in a basketball player and everybody says, I want to play like magic. I want to do magic. God says, why doesn't some of my people say, I want to have an effect on my church, my family, my home. I don't know if you ever watch Fox News, but Charles Krauthammer, he's a paralyzed guy in the wheelchair. He's brilliant. He was a psychiatrist, gave up uh, psychiatry and went into journalism. His father told him when he was young, and he's Jewish, by the way. His father told him, I want you to know something about everything. And in the world we live in, we just need to know what's on the web and what's trending. And God says, I got so much more. For people's church, for your church, wherever you're from. It seems like we're dying everywhere, and all the enemies of God are progressing. Why? Because sometimes we just say, I like ordinary. Ordinary suits me. I don't want any challenges spiritually. 
I don't want any challenges physically. I just want a good life and good health and then go to heaven. And sometimes God gathers men and they don't even know why they're gathered, but they're gathered. He was a doer of great deeds. He struck down two lion-like men of Moab. Not one. See, this guy goes beyond what is expected of him. Two fierce ISIS fighters. And he went after them alone. Just recently I heard there are 300 Marines just a couple of miles from where ISIS is slaughtering people. And they asked the president and their generals, could you just turn us loose? Could you just let us do what we're supposed to do? Because 300 valiant Marines can take on thousands of places. So he killed these two guys. I'm not recommending you go out and do murder in the name of God. I don't think you should kill animals or people. But what it's saying is the, the immediate things that were bothering his village, he took care of it. Ordinary men leave things undone all their lives. I'd like to do this. I should do this. I could do this. I might do this. And they talk about it. They measure it. They do an environmental assessment. And then they don't do it. I know, quite truthfully, I don't have a long time to do this. I'm losing lots of stuff. I'm losing my voice. I'm losing the function of my mind, believe it or not. So whatever I have to say, I got to do that in the next few years of my life, maybe. But I would like to get to heaven and have Jesus say to me, Al, you're from this little small place in Bermuda. And you were less than ordinary when I found you. And I wanted to do something in your life to change the world. Thanks for agreeing with my plan for your life. Whatever that is, whatever is involved in that in the future. So he killed these two lion-like men of Moab. He also went down into a pit and struck a lion in the pit on a day when snow had fallen. Now, you see what kind of guy this is? There is a lion. He's in a quarry. And he could have told other people. He could have shot him with an arrow. That would be much safer. He went down into the pit with a lion on a day when it had snowed. I mean, has he got lots of problems here? First of all, it's a lion. It's not a dog. It's not a stray cat. It's a lion. If you corner a wild lion, he has a tendency to eat you. But can you see the passion in this guy? It is a lion. He knows about it. But maybe that lion's going to eat his kids or his wife or his parents. And he says somebody's got to take care of that. What does he do? He does this extraordinary thing. He goes down into the pit, faces the lion, kills the lion. Now, he doesn't kill Moabite people every day. Don't, don't get this wrong. And he, he only killed the lion once. 
But in his history, he has things that he has done which were significant. Some people, all they want to do is kill lions. If I can't kill a lion, count me out. If I can't do the spectacular thing, I don't, I don't want to clean tables, cook breakfast. I don't want to comfort somebody who just lost somebody. I don't want to go put my arms around somebody who's devastated. I want to kill a lion. And he did it on a day that snowed. You know what that means, don't you? You're New Brunswickers for heaven's sakes. That's like every day in New Brunswick. It was slippery. It was vicious. There were a lot of possibilities. And he went down into the pit, slayed that lion. Because if he didn't, that lion's going to eat somebody. That's not all. These are his acts. He struck down an Egyptian, a great man of stature, five cubits tall. That's seven and a half feet. We just had a guy at MBBI who was 6'10". I took him to the airport. I said, can you get in my car? He says, yeah, I'll just slide down in the seat. I said, man, you're still tall sliding down in the seat. This guy's seven foot. He has a stick. Benaiah has a stick. Better come to the fight with a stick than nothing. The Egyptian has a spear. Why doesn't he just beat him to death with this stick? Have you ever seen those karate guys with sticks? Those martial arts people with sticks? Bang, bang, boom, gone. He could have done that. What does he do? He takes the spear from the Egyptian. And he kills him with his own spear. See, he kind of takes care of the immediate thing. That's the two men of Moab. Something's got to be done about these two men. They're roaming the village. They're like ISIS. He didn't go over and just bomb indiscriminately. He went after the two guys. See, we have these things in our lives that we have to deal with. And we're valiant men when we do them. Otherwise, these men are going to affect your kids. They're going to affect your grandkids. All the things I fail to do are going to have consequences in other people's lives. And then he does the difficult things in life. These, the, these are the lions that come. And when I face up to them and kill them, I'm much better for those. And then he does the necessary things. What's... What's God saying to us that we have to do immediately? We got to get over this hurdle. I have probably written 150 emails to this kid who's trying to kill herself. And I'm trying to explain to her who God is. So I said to her, show me Jesus in an anorexic body. I know you have a habit to eat and purge. Show me what Jesus looks like in a person who's bipolar or a person who's going to die. Just this week, I heard the most profound thing. Connie Dowie was out with um, the Drakes, June and Terry. And the nurse was there. And the nurse said, don't you want to go into the hospital because you're, you're not very good. And this is the end. And they all knew this would be the end. And she said, no, I want to stay here because I want to show my family that there is nothing to fear 
in death. Now that's pretty profound, wouldn't you say? I know lots of men who would be crying and say, get me to the hospital now. Me, probably. Don't you like to see examples of people who have a hold of God and his truth and it shows in their life? Well, she slew that giant. And just a little while after that, God said, that was so good. Why don't you come home now? Enough with this suffering. I don't mean to embarrass you, but I love you, my brother. This guy has so many physical problems. He has trouble breathing, and he still preaches, and he still sings. I think you are a valiant man. He lived such an ordinary life for so many years. And then all of a sudden, God got a hold of his heart. I think the greatest thing that God could ever do for us is to get us together, first of all. And then do his thing with us. I got to finish reading. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehudiah, and won himself a name beside three mighty men. See, people will notice you within five seconds. They will notice you. And other men noticed him. This is not like a selfie. Hi, Benaiah, lion. Hashtag, lion dead. (laughs) This is me with the Egyptians. Sit him up. put, Put his spear in my hand. Yo, Take it, me and the Egyptian. No. He's just doing stuff because he loves God. Other people around him. I had a funny lunch with somebody this week. I was telling them, they said, "Uh, what's going on? What are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. I said, well, I'm, I'm speaking at a prayer breakfast and it's on this guy, Benaiah, and I started to tell him, went through the outline with him, telling him these things that God had done in this kid's life and we're still reading about it. And I'm not lying when I say this. This was an ordinary man. And I knew within five seconds after telling him this story, he came up with three stories. I'm not exaggerating. He told me three stories that were not true about his life because he was trying to put himself in here and he was ordinary. And when ordinary men try to say they're extraordinary, you know they're lying. And I looked at him and I said, I would go to the wall with you if I thought you were responsive, but you... you, If that was a broken man, you could get to him and help him. Ordinary men say, my family's fine. I'm doing fine. I'm good. Good. Look, I got these stories. You just made that up. It didn't happen. These were were pretty fantastic stories. These things did Benaiah, and he won himself a name beside the mighty men. He was renowned among the 30, but he did not make it to the three, and David set him over his bodyguard. Okay. I'm just putting my Bible down because I don't have enough room there. I've been reading a book called The Ghost Boy. 
And it's about this guy. He's 12 years old. And something happens, and he's in a coma. They don't know what it was. Meningitis, something in his brain just shut down his body. And for 15 years, he doesn't talk, he doesn't walk, he doesn't communicate in any way whatsoever. <clears throat> so they put him in a chair in a, in a daycare place, and he watches Barney. Yet inside this guy's head, he is very much alive. He is aware of everything that is going on. And nobody knows he's there. In fact, they say things while they're with him that they would never say with a person who was in their right mind. Until, how did he get out of this? One day a nurse came by. And she said, you know, I'm going to give you a bath. And she actually talked to him. Of course, he didn't move. He didn't respond. He just stared. And she said, let me put some of this ointment on your back. Doesn't this feel good? And what that did was it awakened this guy inside this body that everybody thought was dead. Not physically, but psychologically, emotionally, intellectually. So after 15 years, they gave this guy a test. And if you've ever heard of Stephen Hawking, if he didn't have his computer, he just lays there like this. But somebody figured out that in that mind, it is so alive and so powerful that they hooked him up to a computer and he talks through the computer with an animated voice just by moving his cheek like this. When I thought of that, I thought, when men gather together, and God knows where we are, if he came around to us and said, you're a, ghost, you're a ghost man. You're there. You exist. Not much is happening. But I'm going to take you ordinary guy, and I'm going to make you into an extraordinary husband, an extraordinary deacon, an extraordinary leader, an extraordinary husband, an extraordinary father, an extraordinary guy. So here's a guy from a little village. He does these acts. He's being made into something that is huge. And David says to him, by the way, I'd like you to be my bodyguard. I'd like you to be in charge of all the guys who take care of me. That's certainly a guy you trust, right? You don't choose an ordinary guy who says, yeah, I've been bodyguard for the president eight or ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you shoot? No, I, I don't shoot. I just go, and they go away. Now, I want somebody that's going to shoot. So, let me start. All these people came to David because they were looking for somebody. They were looking for somebody. They came to the breakfast hungry, not only for breakfast, but for something real in their life, and they didn't even know it. And here's everybody coming to David. They're in doubt, they're in debt, they're discouraged, and they, David is the attraction, like Jesus is the attraction for us. That's why we come to him. And they said, even when Saul was king, it was you that God had anointed to be a leader. See, it says he didn't make it to the top three. 
So lest you think if you follow God and if you love God, you're going to be the prima donna. No. He had three guys who were so good, nobody was as good as those guys. He had three other guys that were not as good as the first three. And then he had 300 guys. And Uriah the Hittite was in there. What kind of guy was Uriah the Hittite? He was Bathsheba's husband. And he was out to war. And when he came home, David had been messing with his wife. So he, he wanted he, to get him home. So that if she got pregnant, at least David would say, it's her husband. He was home on furlough. This guy was so good. He slept in the hallway. Can you imagine being away from your wife for about six months in battle? And you come home and you sleep in the hallway. He said, the armies of Israel are out there in battle and I'm not going to take the comforts that I should naturally take because I'm a valiant guy. And David ended up killing him. This guy is surrounded in that chapter 11 with scores and scores of names of people. And when he comes to Benaiah, he has to say, an extraordinary guy. This is what God wants to do with us. Somehow he wants us to gather together. Somehow he wants us to be concerned about other people. Somehow he wants us to deny ourselves so that it's not about us. And you spend your life on other people. That's how you do it. You don't ask, how is this going to benefit me? But what could I do for the kingdom? What lion can, can I slay? What, what problem can I help to get rid of? What Egyptian needs to go down in my own life? As well as the people around me. Let me show you the kind of guy that David was. And why they gathered to him. He came up to the city of Jerusalem, the modern city of Jerusalem. <clears throat> and it belonged to the Jebusites. And the walls were high and impregnable. And David was the kind of guy who said, um, let's go take Jerusalem. I want Jerusalem. It's the only city that's named after David. They called it the city of David. And the Jebusites up in the towers looked down on them and said, you guys at People's Church and your church and any other church are so weak. You could never have an influence on this world. Because the blind, the dumb, the lame could defend this city against you. Now, David doesn't get offended and go away. He figures out a strategy as to how to do this. And he offers a challenge to the people, and this is it. I'm not going to tell you how you do this, how to do this. But the guy who does it shall be captain over the host. I, I like that because that's motivational. Here's the problem. You come up with a solution, and if you come up with a solution, and you be the first one to shoot somebody in that city, you'll be the chief. You know who it was? Joab. He climbed up this little tunnel that's only about this wide, and it is slippery. It's in Hezekiah's tunnel. You can see that today. And it was the water chute, and he climbed up the water chute, opened up the gates, and David said, now, who's the city belong to? I'd like to follow somebody like that, wouldn't you? Somebody who knew what we ought to do, what we ought to do next, and why we ought to do it. Well, I want to tell you there's a greater than Jesus here. 
He doesn't just gather us on Sunday so that you have something to do on Sunday morning. He doesn't gather us for breakfast so that you can eat that delicious bacon. Man, that was good. God said, I brought you here for bacon. No, I brought you here because once I gather you together, I want to show you how some people start out so ordinary. And in the process, I'm making them into extraordinary men. He was just surrounded by these guys. One guy went into a field one day with, with 300 Philistines around him, and he, he, he just whipped them. He held that sword for so long, it cramped his hand, and he couldn't get rid of it. They tell us that two things change us. Number one, the books you read. And number two, the people you hang around with. Yeah, the people you hang around with the things that you talk about, the way you talk about God, the way you see your life, that's going to change you. That's going to radically change you. It starts before the event, of course. It starts before the lion, the Egyptian, and the Moab men. It starts with some of these single guys. It starts with the newly saved guys. What they need more than ever is somebody who will come along to them and be their bodyguard. I don't know about you, but I'd like somebody to look after me, wouldn't you? I mean, if I couldn't do it anymore, I, I, I'm not trying to be selfish, but Brother Wayne comes over and fills my wood box and plows my driveway. And he's been doing that for every storm. I didn't ask him to. Yesterday he sent some guys to clean off my roof. Because I can't do that stuff anymore. He's looking after me. You see what I'm saying? What if every kid in our church, every older person, had somebody who would just do this for Jesus and say, I'm going to take you under my wing, buddy. I'm going to look after you. When I see you heading the wrong way, I'm, I'm going to come, put my hand on my shoulder, and say, you really need to stop doing this. I would love it. I'm trying to bodyguard a 24-year-old girl who is just learning how huge God is. We got into this hashtag war the other day. And I wrote her and I said, you know what the Hippocratic Oath is? It is, first of all, do no harm. That's a vow that every doctor takes. It's called hippocratic because it started way way long ago in greece the first thing a doctor must do is no harm ordinary men do a lot of harm so i hashtagged her back and said do thyself no harm ever since then she's been emailing me back hashtag free girl do you know how much energy and time and prayer goes into helping one person over the wall? A lot. And I just keep saying, Jesus, I know who you are, how powerful you are. She doesn't know that yet. Please reveal yourself to her. I know you don't want her to die and be obsessed with her body. So she writes me back and says, I'm getting this. 
Her verse in the morning was, Bless those who have the spiritual rule over you. Thank you for looking out for me. I've spent almost my whole life looking out for other people because of the ministry I'm in. I was telling Wayne, I find it very difficult for people to look after me. It's just a total turnaround. June, by the way, needs nobody to look after her. She's got the big bodyguard now. Yeah. She's up there. I don't know what they're doing. But she's saying, God, you know, I, I never realized you were this extraordinary. I mean, I know you helped me through four years of cancer, and at times I was going to die. And when I got to the place of dying, I just said, all you've taught me now is I don't. I don't know about you, but if you don't have somebody in your life, especially I want to talk to the younger guys, you need to beg and plead older guys to come into your life. You need to do that. You need to find somebody and beg them to help you. I'm serious. And for guys who are older, you need to look out. Not just your kids. You need to look out for somebody who is struggling and help them. That's what Benaiah did. He didn't do all this because he didn't like lions. And it was anti-Semitic. He didn't like Egyptians. He did it because there were problems and he was going to do something about it by the grace of God. And God said, by the way, in the middle of the list, let's break for a second. Here's Benaiah. He was a small village. His father looked after him. He's an ordinary guy, just like us. Every single one of us started out ordinary. We had to learn everything. We couldn't change our own diapers. You live long enough, you won't be able to change them again. <laughs> Somebody will come in the room and say, Mr. Cabral, we got to change you. Do you know how humiliating that is? It's pretty humiliating. In this time, in between, is where we work for God. Now listen. If little girls will go all the way to Syria to be sex slaves and service ISIS fighters, I think Christian girls, and particularly Christian guys, I don't know if God really did have an earthly army and he called us to do something like that. I don't really think there'd be an awful lot of us that would go. I don't know if you would send your son to martyrdom. I don't know if you'd send your son as a suicide bomber. But Benaiah says, listen, I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this for God. I want to be an extraordinary man. So it starts before and it proceeds with initiative. If I don't take the initiative, we're not going to get very far. It involves actual events, true events that happen. Lots of intensity. It accomplished the victories. They were won. You know... It doesn't take long. I feel, this is just me, I feel that God wants to do something again in our churches. Not, not just ordinary stuff. Not just filling in the time. Extraordinary things where people suddenly wake up 
How did the ghost boy? By the way, the ghost boy is married now. He still doesn't speak. He wasn't healed. But he's in there. But now he's communicating. In fact, he has a job. And what he's communicating is, there are millions of other people out there like me. And I want to reach them. When you go into a nursing home and you see somebody with Alzheimer's or ALS, who's just sitting there bobbing back and forth, you say, well, they're done. They're useless. I think when God looks at the church, when he looks at us, he says, I got a lot of ghost boys here. I want somebody to please say, there's not much time. Let's wake up. The acts of exceptional men. What happens here? He's a little guy from a little village. His name means God's been working up me for a long time. You can go through the list of people who were ordinary. Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, Jonathan Edward, Moody, extraordinary men. Who maybe at a breakfast one day, somebody said, are you in there? Do you want to come out to the real world? These acts of exceptional men. What kind of acts is God expecting of us? I don't know, but if you ask God to make you extraordinary, you will start to do exceptional things. And the first person who will notice this is your wife. I tell every husband, your wife will be the first to know when you are changed. I don't mean you talk about change and you theorize about change and you're planning on change. But when God actually gets down into your soul and say, says, you're just too ordinary for me. I want you to act like a Christian when you're home and when you're on the job, and when you talk to your kids and the way you talk to your kids and how you act out in public. There are no exceptions. Sir. I want to so reach down into your heart that you will start to do exceptional things. And guess who notices it first? Your wife. Sometimes we say things and do things and we say, well, that's just the way I am. That's just my temperament. God says, that's, no, I don't, I don't accept that. That's not an excuse. Husbands who have cheated on their wives, when they finally get that right and they seek repentance and the wife says, how will I know I can trust him again? I say, you will be the first one to know. Because he will change from the inside, like when I When other people come to you and say, you know, something must have happened to you after that breakfast. Something in the bacon. No. No, it's not in the bacon. It's in my heart because every single thing in the world is saying, be ordinary, it's okay. Just, just medi mediocrity is fine. You don't have to be an exceptional person. Here's my last point. The list of exemplary men. What do I mean by that? The other guys said, somebody ought to write something about Benaiah. Somebody ought to tell generations to come the kind of guy that he was. So they did. The chronicler 
maybe Ezra, puts this note in. The Spirit of God said to him, you got to mention, because there's going to be a prayer breakfast coming up in 2015, you got to mention this guy because this is what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for everybody to do the same thing. I'm not putting everybody on the same level. Of course there are guys who do extraordinary things that are out there that we will never do, but you got to do something extraordinary. There are exceptional people in the world that are so gifted, and I'm not one of them. I've been reading a guy by the name of if I can find his name here. Just give me a sec. It doesn't matter what his name is. Let me tell you what the book's about. He's a brilliant guy. It's my memory. I'm sorry. Um, he's a brilliant guy. Brought up in a Christian home. His father was Jewish. He's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. He's written a number of books. One of them is the one I'm reading now called Blink. He's a, he's a brilliant guy. And suddenly he became a believer. Out of nowhere. And two stories that he was covering. One was a mother's son was murdered. And she said, I want to meet the guy who murdered my son. And most people would say, I want to meet him so I can strangle him. And what she said was, I want to meet him so I can tell him I forgave him. Now this writer, who is absolutely brilliant, was really bothered by that. And there was one other incident where a lady had gone through cancer and the chemo and the other stuff that she took didn't work. And she suffered awfully. And he went to meet her because of some part of the book. That book was called David and Goliath. And he says, this is the first time in my life, and he's traveled all around the world, that I have ever seen Jesus in somebody's life. In other words, so much Jesus, it made a difference that you would forgive the guy who murdered your son. And you would still love the God who did not deliver you from cancer. And he said, those two stories alone drove me to Jesus. I had just never seen Jesus. That's what I mean by extraordinary and exemplary. I don't mean you do tricks and you do miracles and you do healings and you swing from the chandelier. I mean you just do Jesus. Because it is noticeable in a world where Jesus is not liked. This is a list of exemplary men. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So he had his list with three people in it. And he was sort of number one because he was the king. And he had the tendency to gather around him people just like himself and made them better than they would ever be. Who does that sound like? Except the one who's number one on God's list. Who is Jesus. I mean, David is ordinary compared to Jesus. Jesus came into this world in an ordinary human body filled with divinity. He ate, drank, learned, grew up. And they said, are you the son of David? He said, in effect, David's my son. I am the son of God. Did he do extraordinary things? The most extraordinary thing he did was when he stretched his arms out that thou, my God, should die for me. And God said, for that, I am making you number one. 
that at your name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. In Bermuda, where I live, we have a wall. I don't know if you saw this when you were there. And the wall is a limestone wall. And right at the top, ever since I was a little kid, somebody wrote this verse, and they keep repainting it every 10 years. And it says this, There is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. That verse has been there, and it's still there. Underneath that verse, somebody about 30 years ago wrote, Allah Akbar in Arabic. Something very interesting happened. That part of the wall is still there. This part of the wall caved in and fell down. <laughs> so they tried to inscribe Allah Akbar down below, and that fell in. That doesn't prove that Jesus is God's number one person. It's still true. There is no other and when David looked at this guy, he says, can I connect with you? See, I'm, I'm looking for somebody, David says. I'm looking for people who show me within the first 10 seconds of talking to me that they mean it with Jesus. He said, I'd like you to be my bodyguard. What, what is salvation but I find this exclusive Savior? And I go to him and say, would you be my bodyguard? Would you take my place? Would you take the hit, the bullet for me? And Jesus said, do you believe that I am the Son of God? You confess that with your mouth and you believe in your heart. And I have something in store for you that I have not seen nor heard. You have never even had these thoughts in your head. But see, if I make it all the way to heaven and stand before the throne of God, and I'm still ordinary... There's nothing extraordinary about my life. And I stand there and Jesus said, I found you ordinary. You stayed ordinary. You died ordinary. I'm glad you're here. But did I ever have some extraordinary plans for your life? I didn't want you to tear down walls and go fight ISIS. I just wanted you to show in the world that you live in that Jesus Christ makes a difference in you. Larry Crabb, who is a very famous psychologist, said this. Every man has this great fear. Women fear something else. Every man has this great fear. That somewhere in his life, he will find he is weightless. What he means by that is, there's not much to me. I have a great job, make a lot of money, have a beautiful house, great family. Everybody loves me, but there's nothing to me. You see, I can have the shell. Crab says, every man in his heart fears that he will stand before God and he's still ordinary, to put my interpretation on it. Well, your friends know if you're ordinary. And God just says, listen, I gather ordinary people together and I try to challenge them by the lives of other people. I try to say to them, this is not hopeless. You may have been this way all of your life, but if you want to, you can change. You can be something different, not just a ghost boy. Jesus took upon the ultimate lion 
and he slayed him by the devil's greatest power, which was he had the power of death over people. And God, by dying, defeated. Talk about slay a lion. That was exceptional. He not only saved us to heaven so we don't go to hell, he saved us from the power of sin and the power of death. That's why June could say, I want to show my family they don't have to be afraid to die. As Jesus gathers with us, he says, you know what? I hear your stories. I hear how you talk. It seems very ordinary to me. I I want to lift you up. I want to make you a person of renown. You don't have to lie. You don't have to do lots of things for me. I'm talking about something that's coming from the inside out. So they wrote about this guy. They said, anybody here know Benaiah? He's quite a guy, isn't he? In his history, he did these three things. What did he do for the rest of his life? He lived for God. This wasn't an everyday occurrence. He was exceptional. If he was married, I'm sure his wife appreciated that. Ladies ask me all the time, why? I am so passionate about God. Why is my husband this way? Because they like ordinary I'm not saying you should be some global evangelist. I'm not saying you should do miracles. I'm not saying you should need to do something fantastic. I am saying you should radiate Jesus because the people around you will say. I went to your old car wash yesterday. And it wasn't working very good. So I unplugged it. In case this comes to court, you are all witnesses that I unplugged it because I pulled the trigger and it went. You can't wash a car with that. But when I went in to find the guy who owns the car wash who was not there, I saw this lady, and she looks at me, and I said, are you having trouble? She said, do you know how to work this thing? It was the detergent dispenser. And I said, well, did you put the money in? Yes. The toonie didn't work, so I gave her, I put in a loony and hit Tide, and Tide came out. And I had to show her where to find the Tide. And she said to me, Here's the tuning. I gave a loony. Here's the tuning. I said, no, ma'am, I don't need that. She said, you know, that's the second time you did that for me. I said, pardon? She said, about 20 years ago, I was out at a nursing home. And I was at the end of my rope. She didn't say it this way, but you showed me Jesus. At a tide dispenser? She said, I remembered that act of kindness that you did. I'm not talking about great things. I'm talking about acts of love and kindness. See, that's what changes a church. That's what changes a family. Somebody said of William Carey, He left nothing untried. He tried everything. He was a great missionary. It 
So, you have one more slide. So, what does this mean for us? Hey, man, that was good. Bacon was good. You went a little long, but um, I'm going to go home now, back to ordinary. What does this mean for us? There has to come a point where I decide there's going to be sin. So I'm going to let Wayne explain this. I'm just going to read the last slide. Is there a last slide? Yes. The importance of sharing your own story. I don't know how many of you have Facebook and, 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 and read things that are happening in people's lives, but um, Steve and Julie just recently put one on about what God's doing in Julie's life. W women have a much easier time sharing this. The most powerful thing in the world is not just women sharing this, it is men sharing this. Sit down, I want to tell you what God has done in my life. Your story is important. Here's one little Jewish guy, and it changed hundreds of people. The importance of sharing your story. The importance of being involved in the lives of other men. Well, I, I'm a shy guy. I don't, I don't, that's not my cup of tea. I don't like that. If your family was in trouble, wouldn't you want somebody to stop their car and rescue your kids? If they were in an accident. Your wife, if she was in trouble. Let me read you something. I read this 20 years ago on my way to Texas, which I'm going to be doing next Saturday. I read this. I was walking through the airport. and was right there on the wall, and I read it. And I never went back to read it again, and I've never seen it since. And it said this. It was an advertisement for some kind of insurance. Does your agent instruct you in the art of war? In other words, you're getting a lot of information. Yet all the while refusing to engage the battle. That's, a, that's heavy. Let me read it to you again. Do you constantly talk about what you're going to do about insurance or life or Jesus or everything else? Does your agent instruct you in the art of war? This is how you fight a lion. This is how you fight an Egyptian. Yet all the while refusing to engage the battle. In other words, I've surveyed it. I've looked at it. I've studied it. I'm just not about to do it. Well, God says, I'm coming soon by all the signs in the world. I'm, I'm coming soon. And here's your choice. I started out ordinary. I kept doing ordinary. But at the prayer breakfast, I, 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 I heard you, God. I didn't just hear Al. I heard you. I heard you tugging at me saying, come on, come on. I want to do something extraordinary with you in your own life that people will notice. I want to make you an exemplary man. I want to put you on the list of people that I will come to when I need to help somebody. Here's the last one. The importance of starting the process for yourself. For yourself. He had a dad. He was impressed by his dad. But he had some other men around him which were mighty men. They did extraordinary things. They were brave and courageous and everything else. And it had an effect on him. It just, it affected him. He couldn't be the same again. So if you're young, you need to start looking for somebody. You don't need to ask your mom or your dad. Just find yourself somebody.
Go find them. And if you're older, you need to go find somebody. Because that's the way God changes people. able to find pallbearers for you guys. Don't worry about it. But who are you calling at two in the morning? We've got issues. Every one of us in this room have got an issue. The sins and the weights that so easily beset us. Okay? Me too. And God puts men together so that we can stick together and we can rise together. We grow old together and we serve God together. Carlton County was called a Bible Belt. That is past history, men. Our kids right now are blasting their brains on the garbage of this world and they're doing it right in their own homes. Champions. 
Because we can't do it alone. We need another league of extraordinary men who live in an ordinary world but love an extraordinary God. Are you in? That's what David said. To a band of two-bit losers who have nothing to bring to the table. And they hooked up. And for a generation, they revolutionized their world. Number three is the most important one. It's not your neighbor sitting beside you. You gotta start. Let me give you a couple of things to help you. Look around this room. We all heard the same thing. So you can talk to any man in this room. You may not have all the definitions down, but every man in this room knows what we're talking about. Find somebody before you leave here. And say, let's get together this week. Man, I've been in these kind of sessions, and motivational talks are just that. What's required is discipline. That's what will change your life. And the first step, you've got to show up to the dance, man. You've got to show up. And we want to encourage you guys. Saturday mornings, we haven't been pushing it hard. I'm going to push it hard now because y'all know what I'm talking about. There's a bunch of us that have been meeting together at 7 o'clock on Saturday morning. 7 o'clock. Can you believe that? Why? Because I am lazy. That's why. I want to sleep in. That's why. And at 7 o'clock on Saturday morning, the rest of the world sleeps in. And we get a band of brothers together and we come. And we circle the wagons around one another. And we talk. And we pray together. One hour, cup of coffee. You're on your own. And then let's just see what God wants to do. I have no agenda after that. I want to see God work in the midst. And I really believe, as Brother Al's been sharing, there's a stirring, he calls it, the stirring in the mulberry bushes. 
That's the indicator that God is about to show up. Is there stirring this morning in your heart? That's God. What's he telling you? Listen. What are you going to do about it? Obey. When will you start? Right now. It's great getting together, isn't it? Great breakfast. Man, my soul has been filled. Amen. When we meet here, let's go get them. For the glory of God. Let them know. Share your story. <coughs> we met with Jesus. What a great day. Let's pray together. Dear God. There are times when we just need talks like this. And this has been one of them. It's been fast. It's been furious. It's been in my face. Maybe any other time I would have just kind of turned the knob off and walked away. But this morning I couldn't get out of this room. I had to hear it. And you loudly, clearly spoke. This isn't just a issue. This is a man's issue. Thank you for impressing on Brother Al this topic, how important it is. God, we long to be used of you, but God, we want you to write that story, and we want others <coughs> to share the good hand of God that they see in the lives of ordinary men doing extraordinary things. I pray that each of us this morning will take note. The quietness of the moment will do business with you. And God, before we leave, we'll follow through with the first step. We need a friend. We need a bodyguard. We need to be involved in one another's lives. God, help us. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for giving of your time this morning. <coughs> looking forward to down the road. We'll keep you informed. We're looking forward to any Saturday morning, 7 o'clock. You can find some group of guys here. Whether you're from People's Church or not, we don't mind. You know what? Wouldn't it be cool? The next Breakfast of Champions, we had to use the auditorium for the session after. Hey, guys. Each one, for each one, it's multiplication, not addition. That's how God works in our community. So we're looking forward to all that God has for us. I want to thank some of the others that are here from other churches.
And it's not a denominational thing. This is a men's thing. We thank you for coming and being a part of it. Brother Al, thank you very much for sharing with us today. Thank you. You are dismissed, folks.